for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business, Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges joined by relevant experts and real life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first solo episode of 2024. And I thought it would be helpful to pull together all of the themes that we've had around well-being over January into one episode, which hopefully knits it together. I've looked at some of the recent research that's come through the CIPD wellbeing findings and also the research that came out of Oxford University and I thought it could be useful to to share this with you in an amalgamated form. Um, If you are looking to rethink your wellbeing strategy, uh, I've done a podcast, sorry, this is the podcast, I've done a webinar on this as well, I'll get the link in the show notes and we've also got a nice um, summary set of collateral. We've got quite a lot of useful resources that you might want to use with your colleagues, you know, tips for wellbeing, etc., um, that you're welcome to avail yourselves of. So if you just go to the show notes, hruprising.com, um, and then you'll be able to access those links if they're useful to you. So what I wanted to go through, I'm not going to spend too long on it because we have had some fantastic guests on this month, is I just want to focus in a little bit on what can we do in terms of well-being? What's the latest on well-being? What works, what doesn't? Maybe a bit about ROI um, and how we can lead by example and challenge ourselves to look after ourselves about well-being. Uh, now, on the webinar that I just ran, uh, I talked to about 40 or 50 people on there. And uh, in terms of those, as I guess you might expect, 67% of them said that well-being was really important for their organisation. Now, obviously, they're a slightly biased group because they would be HR and also they were interested in a webinar on well-being. Uh, so some of them actually had that in their job title. Um, but also, when I asked them where they were looking to focus at, they had a really strong breadth Um, of well-being, not just your sort of typical yoga classes, um, mindfulness apps type thing. And that I thought was really interesting. Having said that, though, um, even more interesting when we looked, and I'll mention this to you later, at the pressure curve, which we have to be aware of ourselves in terms of managing our own uh, resilience. A lot of them, we we had almost... Um, a perfect normal distribution of people who were actually just under the right amount of of pressure, but actually 30% of the people on that call felt that they were pushing into overwhelm. And that is not a good place to be. So should we listen to this? If you are listening to this episode, take this on board, reflect on where you are and make sure you are looking after yourself as well as your colleagues and your organisation. 
So the first point that I wanted to explore was, um, you know, do well-being initiatives even work? If you do a quick Google, you will get loads of results that come up many of which are in America, who say that for every $1 spent on wellbeing initiatives, you will get something between a 50, 50 cents and a $3.80 return on them. Obviously, so many of those have. But then when you dig into who's done the report, surprise, surprise, a lot of them are but done by benefits providers. So I would take a little bit more uh, interest in a large scale university, Oxford University study that recently was published. And that showed no statistical impact on well-being or job satisfaction from a series of well-being interventions. Um, and the idea is worker well-being or job satisfaction wasn't improving those at all. Not only that, these interventions were not improving employees' sense of belonging at work, they weren't reducing perceived time pressures, weren't improving relationships, the way in which the employees felt supported. So all of these things were not actually positive. In fact, in some cases, which is a little bit extreme, um, they suggested that wellbeing interventions could even be making matters worse. So this is where they're saying some of the training, mindfulness training and things might have a slightly negative impact on employees' self-rated mental health. Now, before you decide, OK, I'll give up, I'm not going to do anything like this. I think all of these things have to be seen in context. Um, and, you know, there probably were other circumstances going on around the edges. And it's not a, it's not going to be a causal effect. I think this is from from what, what I can see in terms of return on investment from wellness it links to employee engagement, employee morale, and it's not going to be a direct causal link. So it's very simplistic uh, to think that we give people mindfulness training and they're automatically going to feel better. When, and what the survey, was, what, the, what this study was really showing is that the main issue, all those things are the tip of the iceberg. Basically, uh, it doesn't matter how much stress, uh, how much um, mindfulness training, you know, in-house classes, fruit baskets, all of the nice sort of stuff on the top, it's relatively superficial if people feel fundamentally uh, destabilised. I suppose it's a little bit like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Financial issues, a lot of people, 16% of people were um, saying they felt really financially under pressure. Um, serious, serious concerns about that. And those are the sort of things that can... Um, really destabilise people in terms of their sense of security. So they're going to undermine the impact of anything nice. So if, if everything's going well for you, a mindfulness app is not going to do you any harm. But if you are struggling to pay your bills in severe financial distress, don't know where, you know, where or when your next paycheck's coming from, you're a zero hours worker and you don't know when your next shift is coming from, then it doesn't matter how many things are, are layered on the top, it's not going to help you. Oh, it's not going to sufficiently improve your well-being because of those fundamental stages of it. So what I can't tell from this study is, you know, whether things are different at the moment. I don't think anyone can really tell that uh, in terms of, you know, we're post-COVID, people, we've got high inflation, we've got other things that are going on that are affecting people's well-beings. People potentially are, have maybe taken on a slightly different psychological contract with work so they're feeling a little bit more detached so maybe those in-house um, initiatives are not as effective as they were. So certainly what it does seem to say is we need to think more carefully about what may or may not work um, and this was also reinforced by slightly earlier physical wellness um, 
uh, study in the US, which didn't massively find any improvement there. So the takeaway is don't chuck the baby out with the bathwater, but if we want to genuinely improve the well-being of our people, we need to structure our, we need to focus on the structural aspects of work that cause it. So, you know, endless meetings or bureaucracy, public sector in particular, I think um, they did a survey in the NHS, unsurprisingly, it was those sort of, you know, spending all day on teams type thing, which was actually causing people stress. They had no time to do their actual job. The other major, major theme that comes through, as it appears to do in almost everything to do with people management, is poorly trained managers. So if the managers don't know how to support people through stress, or if they are just pushing the workload down the line, then that is going to affect employees' well-being. So uh, what do we do in terms of well-being? What does it even work? So this Oxford study was basically saying it's structural aspects, it's not simplistic well-being interventions. You're wasting your money if you are just doing those. And as I alluded to, if you then look at things which are return on investment, so if you are within your organisation trying to get some sort of support for a well-being initiative, the way to measure it is most likely going to be through morale and engagement type questions. You want to be looking at things, you know, yeah, are people feeling more engaged, more part of things, more included? Is there a better work-life balance? You can look at um, also measures in terms of net promoter score for the organisation. Do people have high sickness absence? And the what I would personally suggest if I was in an organisation looking to improve, um, well, looking to invest in well-being, is identifying some stats that are relevant to my business that we could use to see whether it's making a difference or not. So most businesses do some sort of employee survey, and I would look at that, your engagement survey, have you got questions in there already that you can drill out into well-being and you know, the way in which people feel autonomous or the ability to manage their own workload or how this well supported they feel from their manager? If you don't, then maybe put some questions in there that get into these areas and that's going to help you demonstrate whatever you're doing on well-being is making a difference. And to be honest, I'm not sure that it's worth just spending money on well-being initiatives if you're not going to do that, particularly in the light of this Oxford research, which is a massive study. So as ever, being evidence-based is my suggestion is find your own stats or survey questions, measure, benchmark where you are currently, and then go back and look at what you're going to do and see whether it makes a difference next year and next year's stats. And then you know if you're getting a return on investment. So that's what I say in terms of ROI. In terms of the CIPD wellbeing report, what were the highlights? Well, they were saying that actually since 2019, there's an increase in sickness absence. So it's gone up to 7.8 days from 5.8, which is quite a high if you look at it um, in proportion. Okay, it's only two days, but actually that's quite a high percentage. And if you are public sector, it's more like 10 point something days. So private sector's always got fewer sickness absence days than public sector. If you have a business, if you do have a standalone wellbeing strategy, you are with 53% of businesses and 69% of this in the CIPD report, and that was 67% on my survey on the webinar, um, said that wellbeing was on senior leaders' agenda. 
The point is really more people are being proactive rather than reactive and that would be a good thing I believe. Uh, reactive in 2019 and before was probably things like employee assistance programs. If someone's got a problem they go to occupational health whereas now it's much more about mental health. It is about um, managing wellness if you like rather than illness. Uh, there is a focus on mental health. Challenges were lack of line manager skills and not just skill, but their confidence to do anything about um, well-being and to support people. Other things that are probably playing into it that we were talking about earlier is that compared to 2019, workers are more likely to see work as transactional. So this is where we're saying about has a psychological contract changed? People feel a bit distant, a bit removed. Um, and it is interesting because it's not really a right answer. So if people are forced to go into the office, they probably are grieved about that. They don't want to do that. If they don't go into the office at all, it's harder to be connected. Some people want to go into the office to get away from stresses at home. So it's become this very individualised way of working, which probably reinforces this individualised mindset, which is, well, what works for me? And people's expectations now, they've worked like this for a number of years, is it needs to work for them. Um, and so taking something like this away could negatively affect people's well-being, whereas it might not have been an issue previously. Flexible working, I mean, in the same way as it's become a bit of a challenge making this sort of individualisation, it has also provided opportunities and we should look to maximise those. So if you are going to think about well-being in a holistic way for your business, one of the main things is looking at stress management, not just in a learn how to deep breathe way. It is about understanding deeply what the stressors are for people in your organisation. Um, and often it's going to be about lack of control, things where they don't feel they can affect them and, and they feel out of control of their workload, their time, structure, the processes. What can you do to give them that ownership and empowerment back? Because that is one of the best ways in which we can feel, um, we can reduce stress and people feel in charge. Part of that is making sure that managers are equipped with the skills and the knowledge to be able to support people in managing stress and to make them feel empowered, to coach them, to ask them what works for them, how do they want to work, um, what parts of their job stress them out and what can we do to change them. So all of those things, coaching skills, just being alert to empowering uh, people from a line manager point of view and not just empowering people, including people. That's another really important thing is people's sense of belonging. So we always know that belonging is key for engagement. And again, we know that if people are slightly working remotely, then that can be harder to have, but not impossible. So we need to make sure that we've got strong teams, even if they're virtual teams. Are we making sure that no groups are left out? Is it inclusive? Is it diverse? Do people feel psychologically safe to make thing, to get things wrong, um, to speak up? Think about stuff like job design, life-work balance, just all of those things that people find important. Listen to them, what's there, and make sure those are in place because those are the structural, long-term things that will fix well-being or prevent it from being a problem. Now, obviously, physical health, you can have things like um, insurance policies, and that is a useful one. It's on an individual basis, so that can, be, that can reduce the stress for some people. Personal growth, so people feeling they have opportunities to learn and grow. Financial well-being, I'll come back to that one, and you know, empowering people to make good lifestyle choices. So it's a really broad well-being. So well-being is not just, let's do some stress management training, let's give everybody the Headspace app. It is much, much broader. And so it's looking at dealing with the stressors from the ground up, 
ensuring that managers are better skilled and know how to do this and really thinking carefully about job design, good work, making sure people have access to good work. The one that, of course, has increased over the last sort of 18 months or so is the financial um, wellness, if you like, becoming a problem. And I have done a previous podcast on this with Charles Cotton from the CIPD. Um, on the CIPD survey, over half of their respondents were struggling to keep up with bills and commitments and 16% had severe financial distress. As you imagine, lower paid and unskilled workers were more at risk. Um, we did, I've mentioned before that 57% um, of businesses are starting to promote financial well-being compared to 44% in 2022. So that's a big uplift. So that is employers being responsive. Um, thinking about things like hardship loans that they can provide people with support or employee benefits that might reduce their living costs. People are going to feel proud, people feel a bit embarrassed. It's how can we support people appropriately? Obviously, if we can give um, pay increases for, to cost of living, pay increases, but again, it's very difficult for businesses. We can't all afford to just push up um, the, the pay bill at the same rate as uh, inflation. So are there other ways in which the business can support people through hardship? So that's something that perhaps you wouldn't have gone to otherwise, but it's it's worth not overlooking. So those are areas that I think are organisational strategic where I'm thinking let's rethink what we're doing about well-being and make it not just nice and fluffy superficial things and make it much deeper um, and more real in terms of quality of work. And then we'll move into just thinking about yourself leading by example as somebody listening to this podcast wants to support others in their well-being are you modeling those behaviors so are you familiar with the pressure performance curve and this is what I said at the start of the podcast when I surveyed the people on the webinar uh, it was a perfect bell curve and so about so the ideal place in this pressure performance curve is it's got five stages you don't want to be in boredom because basically you're not performing when you're bored because you're bored Comfort zoning, you're not working at optimum, but it's not too hard. Stretch is where we are operating at our best, which is, so you go from comfort into stretch, and that's where we want to be, unless you are in stretch for too long, in which case you get into what they call a zone of, zone of delusion. Um, and that's where we've gone beyond stretch into strain, and that's like a slippery slope because we go from strain into burnout. So strain, signs of strain are you might be tired, you might be making bad decisions, um, just feeling you're not using your judgment, maybe a bit impatient with people. And then you hit overwhelm is where people end up really poorly, exhausted, serious health problems, breakdowns and burnout. And it's so much harder to come back from that. So what we need to be is um, aware of when we're pushing into the zone of delusion. So we think we're just nicely stretched and running optimum. We think, yeah, we've got it all covered but actually we're moving into strain and it's becoming too much. How can we prevent burnout, which catches you by surprise? It's almost like that straw that breaks the camel's back and it all goes horribly wrong. Well, the answer is make sure you know what you need to do to recharge or renew. And I talk about the four quadrants of resilience, exercise, diet and sleep being physical aspects. I'm sure many of you have seen all the information out there on gut biomes. So it's not just, you know, eat fruit and vegetables, it's eat 30 plus types of fruit and vegetable, eat fermented foods, because that's going to support your gut myome, um, biome, which underpins your broader wellness, your immunity and inflammation and all those sort of things. So physical, think about what you eat, how you eat, how you sleep. Emotional is positive relationships um, inside and outside of work. And all of these, I'll come back to what we can do within the workplace. 
from a personal point of view, what do I do to look after myself mentally? Well, I like to learn, I like to read. And then being holistic or mindful, it might be feeling a sense of purpose. It could be religion, if that's your thing. It could be walking in nature, whichever it is that really works for you in terms of that area. And the idea is if you are just re, um, renewing in all of those areas, you know, maybe just one thing from each of those areas each week, then that's actually going to make a difference. Not just a difference, um, you know, a five minute walk once a week may not make a huge difference, but if you make that promise to yourself you're going to do it and you do it, then that will make a difference because you are making and keeping small promises to yourself and that will give you a sense of control. So never underestimate the power of making and keeping small promises to yourself. So that was talking about the quadrants of resilience and you can look at an image if you log into it um, on the website. But then if I want to think about how I can apply this to our people, well, physically, well, what can you do? Can you encourage people to cycle to work, um, gym subsidies? Is there something where you could do artificial commuting where people have to commute at the start and end of the day? What can you encourage step, step um, competitions? What can you encourage people to do to be physically, uh, physically renewing? Equally, if you want to encourage emotional renewing, Think about networking, social events. Have people got an employee voice? Trained managers, again. Uh, diversity and inclusion, that whole sense of belonging at work, all really important there. Mental renewal, wow, people want to develop, lots, learn and grow. That's one of the key questions within uh, the Gallup Q12 of engagement. I have opportunities to learn and grow. So that would be our mental renewal aspect. And then finally, our sort of holistic aspect would be how can I think more broadly about removing stresses or do I need to look at things like financial counselling, EAR, psychological safety, what is it that I need to look at that's going to give the most value to my people. So thinking about that's way much can we chunk it up to, to not just go in one area, think about all the areas to develop people. And finally if you want to page through to this um, we've got this as a download as an infographic if you want to be an effective stress manager, what do you need to do? You need to learn how to relax and do it. You need to eat well and exercise often. You need to get enough sleep. Don't sweat the small stuff. Don't get angry for the sake of it, so no road rage. You want to be organised, manage your time efficiently, have and make use of a strong social support system, live according to your values and have a great sense of humour. Nothing like a good giggle to help you stress relief. So those would be 10 habits of effective stress managers and seven points that line managers can do to support well-being. You want them to be humble, be open and share any physical, uh, physical challenges or struggles. Coaching skills, you know, helping people to feel empowered and to think themselves, holding them accountable for a, you know, mixing up their working week or working day in terms of how, you know, what does and doesn't work for them. Agreeing clear goals, recognising success, be predictable and consistent in your management approach. Link purpose with individual deliverables so people see the value of what they're doing. It gives them a sense of purpose. Make it psychologically safe so that people avoid blame and encourage people to learn from mistakes. And encourage, expect and recognise positive behaviour traits in your team. That's our seven tips for line managers that can support well-being. So that was my whistle-stop tour through um, the webinars I did, Rethinking work Wellbeing. As I say, if you want to watch the webinar, you can do, and you'll see the interaction with other people. What we've done is we've looked at some of the most recent evidence, which may be challenges 
the levels of evidence as to how you manage well-being. In a nutshell, it's not about the superficial stuff. It's about making sure that you are looking more deeply at the, the quality of work. Is it good work? Things behind the scenes that are getting people down, linked maybe to security. Uh, in terms of the ROI, we said that there is a ROI, almost certainly, but you need to measure it because it isn't necessarily causal. And you probably, you know, okay, people are on side with supporting well-being right now, but you only have to see a few more of these sort of reports saying, oh, it's a waste of time and it will be difficult for them to continue to do so. So thinking about how you can gain that buy-in, that um, return on investment from your business with the metrics that work for your business. That's what I would do if I was in your position. In terms of our rethinking it, stress management and trained managers are the top two in terms of where I would focus. And thirdly, inclusion, diversity and psychological safety focus. So a whole sense of networking and belonging and getting people to, to feel connected and close to each other. And actually, I'm going to just go add a fourth one on financial well-being. Just keeping an eye on that for people. Talked a bit more about financial well-being support and then the pressure performance curve. So how can we avoid dropping into overwhelm, it's not easy, but do highly recommend it happening. Much better for you. And then we talked about the four quadrants of resilience and some top tips, which you can download at your leisure. So thank you for listening in to this week's podcast. I hope there were some useful takeaways for you that you can use to invigorate your own wellbeing strategy uh, and make sure that you're not just dabbling around on the top, make sure it's got some real teeth to it because you're actually getting in at some of the under the, the issues that are beneath the surface. Do tune in next week for our first episode of February and uh, I look forward to working with you. In fact, spring is almost springing, isn't it? Thanks for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.